Hey, Namik. Uh, so glad to have you with us on Leaders Talk. Uh, normally, we talk about sustainable leadership in different industries and so on. But today, the investment uh, industry, uh, the venture capital industry in, in the Middle East, more specifically Jordan, Egypt, uh, and the Levant area is very heavily investing in tech. And uh, I'm so grateful to have you here, uh, leading expert uh, in the industry. And I would love to hear about uh, your experience. Uh, what is EC ESG investing? And, and uh, a lot of people are going to be interested to hear about how, how they're going to raise funding. Awesome, uh, Leif. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, and uh, to the audience, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I will say one thing before we start, and no, Leith did not tell me to say this or pay me to say this, but uh, had a really, we've had a really good experience working uh, with Leith and Spartan uh, uh, on our recruiting, uh, you know, needs both as a fund and for our portfolio company. So big fan of you, Leith, as a side note. Um, I can start and tell you, maybe I'll tell the audience more about, you know, myself and how I got into VC and, and stuff like that. Um, does that work? Yeah, of course. Cool. So, uh, full name Namak Zarbi. So, born and raised in Jordan, uh, and uh, you know, lived there until I went to to college in the U.S. Did computer science. So, I've always been in the tech uh, uh, tech world or you know, computer science world. Uh, worked very briefly on Wall Street uh, at at one of the banks there, and then have been in venture capital since two thousand and nine, uh, starting Silicon Valley in, in two thousand and twelve. Mm -hmm. So. Been in, in the industry for a long time, uh, despite being a young young guy, um, and it's changed a lot. You know, it's changed a lot globally. Uh, changed a hundred x in the region. Okay, uh, for the exciting part, you know, um, and you know, um, venture is is an interesting business. You know, uh, there's a lot of underlying shifts and changes that are happening that happen every five to ten years in the world. Um, you know, one example is the iPhone, you know, uh, and so, so, um, you need, um, smart, you know, brave, courageous entrepreneurs to, to try to tackle these problems and come up with interesting ideas and concepts. And then you need investors like us to come in at various stages where, whether very, very early, you know, or, or later and provide capital that's needed for these these entrepreneurs or these founders to to keep growing and scaling you might uh, laugh at me here but but you know when i when i first started working with with silicon badia i um I, I i was struggling to understand the difference between you know uh, what is seed funding what is round a what is round b i mean uh it's i had to do a lot of research to be able to to serve you you uh your team and uh I'm glad I did because it opened my eyes to a whole new world, and, yeah. and uh, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Yeah, it's 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 a very fluid definition, um, but it all goes back to your you know traction of your of your business, right? And by traction, I don't only mean how much revenue or you know user growth or whatever. I mean how mature you are as an organization, how mature your your org chart is in terms of the hires you have. Uh, how mature are the markets you're going after? 
so um, so that's kind of determines what stage you you fall in, right? Silicon Badia, just going back to what we do. So in, in 2012, me and my my partners got together and said, listen, you know, we want to continue to be part of the exciting, uh, you know, developed U.S. venture capital scene and continue to invest there. But we also want to, uh, you know, come come up with an interesting model that does investments in the Middle East, North Africa region. Uh, which back then was was still in early stages, still in early stages today as a growth market, but back then was very early. Well, that's how we launched Silicon Badia. Today, since then, we've invested in over 80 technology companies around the world and over 15 industries. Um, our companies are valued at over $15 billion, uh, and they've raised over $3 billion uh, since we started. Okay. So that's us. As a nutshell, where we fall, life, to back to your question on stage, in the US, we're a seed stage. So that's, you know, right after you raise money from friends and family, before you raise Series A money, it's a stage where you might have a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue or, you know, use whatever the equivalent is of user traction. Um, you are a few, still a couple of people, maybe two or three new hires. Um, you have found early uh, proof of product market fit. So you've shown whether it's a consumer or a business on the other side of the fence, they're willing to buy your product uh, and you have some growth. Okay. In the MENA region, we are a series A, series B player, right? So those are later stages of funding and you need to show more than you showed in the seed. So you need to be, you know, that's close to a million or over a million in revenue. Uh, you need to have a more defined organizational structure, so more hires that are good at what they do. Uh, you need to show uh, solid growth and solid product market fit, right? So you need to show that the end consumer is buying your product, how they're buying it, where they're buying it, how much is it costing you to acquire them, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I rambled late. You have to cut me off. No, no, that's fine. Uh, we actually have a comment from someone called uh, Nathaniel Colonel. I hope I said your name right. I'll put it up here. Basically, they're looking for a co-founder and CTO, and they're uh, curious as to how they would go about that. Oh, wow. Nathaniel basically asked uh, not million-dollar question, the billion-dollar question, because CTOs and engineers in general are extremely in, in, in high demand right and the word cto um what, what i like to give uh, people advice at this stage instead of shooting for a highly experienced you know potentially expensive both cash as well as equity um uh, cto look for a younger uh you know maybe two two years out of college uh fresher hungrier engineer that can grow and become that CTO uh, for you, you know. Um, where to find them? You know, there are a lot of networks like Reddit, Stack Overflow, uh, obviously LinkedIn, um, you know, uh, if you go on LinkedIn and you look at companies that are in your similar domain and then try, try to go find engineers that are still young or junior uh, through your personal network, friends and family, I think those are the networks people find, but there isn't one direct answer right if there was um you know uh it, it, it wouldn't be as hard as it is 
Well, I mean, for me, if you don't mind me adding my my own point, I mean, I I I, I built my career on building teams and high performance teams, and uh, one thing that I have always seen is that if you want a CTO, that's fine, but to retain them is a different story. Uh, because once you get the CTO, you want to make sure that they're part of the vision and the mission of your business. Uh, not the co-founder is, it's someone else who equally believes in the vision. Absolutely. So, I mean, for me, that's, uh, that's, that yeah. will make or break the team. Yeah, there's no, there's no silver bullet. You're going to have to try all of the channels we just spoke about. And, um, and to Leith's point, you know, someone that's willing to join you at this early stage needs to have that same vision. Um, you know definitely so uh it, it, did we cover esg investing because i i, I oh, still yeah. don't i don't know what that is <laughs> yeah so esg is a new buzzword in the investor community right now um or has been over the last you know let's say year to two years and everyone is trying to become esg friendly okay and it's you know kind of tied to the un's uh, goals for a more sustainable, environmental friendly planet um, and individual government's goals, right? Which then impacts limited partner money, so the money we raise, uh, which then comes to us as, uh, as funds and, and, you know, trickles down to us. So what ESG stands for, uh, E is environmental, S is social, and G is governance, okay? And the idea here is while we are making our investments into into the into our into our portfolio into pipeline companies, um, are we doing enough work to look at them across these three categories and you know diligence them accordingly? Mm -hmm. Right. So on the environmental side, are we looking at carbon emissions? Are we looking at pollution? Uh, you know, waste management, water usage. If a company fits into that bucket, mm -hmm. right? For our companies that are in tech, one example, we have a company that is in the mobility space, right? So they move people from or goods from point A to point B. Okay. Are they within their plans looking at carbon emissions or introducing electric vehicle fleets, right? That's a, a good example. As social, uh, you know, you're looking at uh, gender and diversity. You're looking at data security. You're looking at uh, you know sexual harassment policies. You're looking at fair fair label uh, uh, practices. We do a lot of work with social, okay? Because part of our mandate is to make sure that women's participation in the workforce is a bit high and increasing, and not only in the workforce but in management. It's to make sure that people are getting paid. Um, uh, and sharing in the long-term success of the company, you know, in the term, in, in the form of stock options, okay, to make sure that there are uh, sexual harassment um, policies in place within these companies to prevent that from happening. You know, I think we, the world learned uh, from the Me Too, um, you know, uh, incidents that happened over the last five years uh, that this is a serious problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, we tackle it accordingly. The third is governance. Okay, and governance is to make sure that, you know, um, things are being done properly uh, within the company, you know, make sure that the board is, is properly established, that the board is, is looking at the right things to make sure there is no conflict of interest, um, to make sure that there's no corruption uh, going on, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So 
you know, everyone is now paying more attention to these things. I think it's good. Okay, obviously, so, I think it's good. So it's, I mean, it's purely, I mean, it's about having a more consciousness approach in business towards the environment, towards uh, social uh, empowerment, uh, uh, very, very much acknowledging the situation that we're in. Speaking of environment, I wanted your opinion on NFTs because although, I, I, I mean, I did a little bit of research when NFTs came out. I'm like, wow, I got this mug here that maybe I could put on as an NFT. And then I, the more research I did, I realized that they're consuming power uh, at, at such large volumes that it's actually damaging the environment. Yeah. So um, blockchain, right? which crypto NFTs, et cetera, but that's the underlying technology, right? So blockchain technology, just like any technology, um, is was in the early, very early stages a few years ago, is still in the early stages today, right? So um, naturally it will evolve and improve over time, okay? So I think there are a lot of smart people today, some of the people we've invested in or are looking to invest in, that are coming and saying, what are the issues with blockchain? Okay, um, you know, one of them is latency and speed, your ability to do transactions uh, quickly. Second, you know, another one is the environmental issue, right? Mining today uh, is detrimental uh, to the environment. Um, there are a next crop of entrepreneurs that are looking to solve these problems and make them better, right? Uh, even, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, NFTs are typically um, the underlying technology is ethereum based um, they're also working on ways um, to change how mining happens or how new um, tokens are, are minted right so it's a problem today there are a lot of smart people that are making they're trying to make it not uh, uh, not a problem tomorrow well, yeah I mean I can imagine that it's always these smaller and you know innovative ideas that end up becoming worth a lot. I mean, who, who knew Kareem would be, or Uber would be, uh, you know, it's such a simple solution for such a simple problem, but they're, they're giants now. Well, uh, that's the thing, you know, like I have, we all have amazing ideas. I have friends every day calling me saying, man, I have a brilliant idea. I thought about in the shower yesterday. Okay. Um, great. It's all about execution. Yeah. Ideas aren't worth anything without execution. Right. I mean, it's I, all about execution, period, full stop, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, what I recommend to people at, uh, who are starting companies at earlier stages, go after a huge market, okay? Because you're going to learn, you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to pivot or change your direction. But because it's such a huge market, you have a lot of flexibility to to change and pivot and make that and, and make changes right if you go after a very small niche market the chances of you getting it right the first time are going to be very low okay um and then you have very little room to move sorry yeah i th i think uh, i think you know spartan started in the opposite direction like we started in a very niche thing and then we've actually had to expand our services for sustainability uh and uh Luckily, it's doing fantastic now, but, uh, you know, it was a risk uh, that we took to expand. It was an investment involved. Um, I have another question. So, like, now with all these venture capital companies really 
investing heavily and you know really focused on tech what's happening to the companies that are non-tech oriented like consulting and finance who's funding them now that's a very good question you know um, the problem we have it's, it's good and bad right but the you know, the, the technology wave that hit us in the last 10 years, you know, since I, 10 plus years since I started. Okay. When I started in BC in 2009, I would say 10% of my friends were in tech or, or venture. The rest were in consulting or, you know, uh, recruiting or legal lawyers or bankers or today, I would say at least 75, 70 to 80% of my friends are, are involved in this industry in some shape or form. Right. So um, the problem is because of media, because of all the success stories we're seeing and all the failures and all that, you know, the, the, the shows that are coming out. Now you have a show on WeWork and Uber and Theranos, you know, on Netflix and, and Apple. Uh, people think this is the only path is the only path today is I want to I'm going to uh, start and run a highly scalable venture backable business i'm going to go raise money and that's that's what i have to do i have to start the business raise money raise another round raise more round keep burning money and and try to you know get to that unicorn uh status i'm completely against it not every business needs to be venture backable not every business needs to be uh exponentially scalable right you can build a very nice cash flow positive great outcome businesses for you as an entrepreneur without going through this venture roller coaster because you have to remember with vc you can go up very fast but you go down much faster look at all the failures that happened okay they went up very fast over you know a period of five years and then in one month they're dead okay. so it's not the path for everyone i keep telling people you don't have to raise venture capital, right? You know, you know. So what happens to these other people? There are still pockets of funds um, and capital that are looking for these types of businesses. Okay, the problem is these pockets of capital have been distracted a little bit, looking at the flashy, high, you know, high growth tech business, but they're, they've also made mistakes investing in those businesses, right? So now uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, you know, uh, private equity, et cetera, that have dabbled in tech have failed miserably because they didn't really understand how to invest in tech, go back to, you know, non tech businesses. So. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen a lot of these, uh, I've seen a common mistake with getting too much funding, maybe at either the wrong stage or God knows what, where they stop focusing on the micro details and fine tuning what they're building. At some point, and then uh, maybe it doesn't collapse. Maybe it works out somehow. But but you start you start to see that these smaller details stop getting the attention that they deserve. 100%. And then, but if you're looking at a business that's being built via you know that lean business strategy, there's always the attention to detail. There's always the follow up. Maybe the customer service isn't great because they're not at scale to have a full customer service. But uh, there's there's still you know that attention to every single detail and thought behind everything yeah. yeah and then and and you know there's been so much money in the in the in the market over the last five years or so um 
basically because central banks around the world were printing it, um, that the standards have been laxed even further, right? Which is why I think you're going to start seeing a wave of, of failures in the next few years because you can't, you, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, yeah. right? Uh, nothing against pigs, right? But, you know, I find some of them cute, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. And um, so I think people are going to realize that you don't have to be on that trajectory to be successful yeah. or make an impact, right? I've always had a dream of personally, just having a small business with like two, three employees and then just being happy and content with that. You know, like that's, that's my dream situation, obviously. That's, listen, that's what I'm saying. Everyone has to evaluate what they want to do and find the best path for it, right? What we've been seeing recently is because there's a lot of hype and stuff, everyone wants to follow that path. And it's, it's a hard path. Let me tell you, as soon as you take money from VCs, okay, yes, we're going to try our best to help you and our job is to help you grow and scale and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm a pain in, in, in your behind. Yeah, like you, have your own, you have your own expectations and you have your own targets too. I mean, I have investors breathing down my neck. So, yeah. like, think it twice before you take, you know, my money or Silicon Valley's money. Because, yes, we're going to do our best to support you, which is why we have a good reputation. But it's a serious thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um even if it's, I think if it's, it's not just in that situation as well. I think even if it's a merger uh, or an acquisition or God knows what from one company to another, it's the same situation. You know, you're, you're getting, you know, a, a full different set of pressure where before it was more laid back and you were just taking your time, taking it easy, building your own vision. And then all of a sudden you actually have people who are equally invested and they want their own visions or micro visions implemented as well as well. So you lose that autonomy uh, as you might have had before 100 so how how can how can how can these new tech companies raise funding where would they start you mentioned before that you know you start with family and friends and here and there but obviously that's not going to be sustainable for the long term the so the audience today is is global or or based where mostly uh, a bit of everywhere. We have from the U.S., from Jordan, from... Shuf, um, it's, gotten, it's gotten harder and harder in Jordan. In the U.S., it's, it's easier, right? You have, you know, it's, it's not necessarily easier, right? Because, yes, you have a, lot, a much diverse and larger supply of capital, but you have a much larger competition. As well. So people have this misconception that, oh, it's so easy in the U.S. You can. Yeah, but not not really. Right. Because there's a huge pipeline. You know, I mean, we, we look at 60 deals a month in the U.S. and we're a small, smaller operation. Right. So um, but but Jordan in specific has become a little bit difficult. You know, um, Egypt's easier, much easier because it's a hot market. It's growing fast. You have a lot of growth stories. Um, you know, I think. Um, like you said, the first the first uh, round of funding typically is your friends and family, you know, um, which shouldn't be taken for granted either, right? Because when I raise, you know, when, when we raise for for, uh, for our funds from individuals and friends, family come in, I take that 
more seriously than when I take institutional capital, right? Because they're my friend's family. So that's your first group. That's typically where people usually go and race, right? It's those friends, family, or angel investors who really believe in this, uh, this person or knew him from his, his or her past life, worked with them before, et cetera. After that, typically you're looking for seed funds. Okay. Um, one shortcut to getting to seed funds that a lot of people use is what we call a accelerator program. Okay. Big ones are Y Combinator, 500 startups, Techstars, uh, Flat Six Labs in the region, Oasis 500 in, in Jordan. Okay. The idea behind those programs is can they accelerate your path to raising capital? Yes, a lot of them tell you. Oh, we're going to introduce you to mentors that are going to change your life. Yes, you might meet one or two connections during that that period, that three month program that will help you a lot. But really, it's to give you an uh, opportunity to shortcut your way to pitching investors at what they call demo day. Right? They do the heavy lifting of uh, the demo day, which is a day where all these companies pitch to hundreds of investors. Right? So. Um, if you don't get into one of these programs, that's fine, right? Um, you know, uh, you the, the you have to go and find seed funds directly. Okay, a little bit harder. You know, a lot of my LinkedIn, for example. You know, uh, and I'm not a big shot by any means, but you know, my LinkedIn, I have three thousand in, uh, invites, invitations that I didn't even look at. Okay, I have over uh, a, a thousand messages I haven't looked at. Right. And I get, you know, more and more every day. It's hard for an entrepreneur to reach out to an investor cold via LinkedIn because we're so overwhelmed. It's not because we think we're better than than you. Or, you know, we're just overwhelmed. It's, it's not humanly possible for me or my colleagues to get through these many messages and emails and do our own work in a day. So finding a warm connection is the best and most effective. Go on LinkedIn. Okay. Or go on my on our website. And see, okay, Silicon Valley likes companies that are in health tech or real estate tech or whatever. Okay, find a, a connection to one of us, a warm connection. Tell that connection, listen, can you please forward the message to Namik or, or Marie or Iras or Fawaz or whatever? And here's why I want to get introduced. So make it warm and make the context strong. Don't, don't expect an investor, most investors, to reply to you from a cold message. Simply because there's just no, no time in the day for it. And he's yeah. straight to the point. I mean, you also don't have the time to look at a full pitch deck if it's coming, you know, as a LinkedIn message either. So it's just three quick bullet points, you know. I just, there's no time in the day, right? And then back to a point we were discussing earlier, like, know who your audience is and know who you are, okay? If you are raising a highly scalable venture business, go after tech funds. But if you're mm -hmm. not, don't go find other pools of capital. Are there other SME funds? Um, you know, do I need equity? Right? Is my business, given the nature of the business model and cash flow, is it more of a debt um, uh, business? Right? Uh, at this stage, uh, can I go to companies in Jordan like Liwa, okay, which give you uh, inventory or, or or trade financing, and raise from them? until I get to a stage where I can raise larger capital, okay? Yeah, maybe it's better to take a loan. I mean, if, if, 
if your margins are big enough and you can justify the interest rate, why not? The issue with, yeah, the issue exactly, right? And today you have alternative lending solutions coming out. You know, Lewa and Jordan is a very good one for SMEs. Uh, full disclosure, uh, you know, we are a big investor in Lewa and I was on the board for five years uh, until, you know, uh, one of my colleagues took over that. But you have other um, alternative uh, solutions because if you go to the bank, you have personal guarantees, you have to beta, it becomes a little bit challenging, you know, because I've seen people fall through personal guarantees, okay, in Jordan. So, again, evaluate who you are, what you need, okay, because what you need might not be venture, it might be a loan, it might be an SME fund, it might be a microfinance, whatever it is, right? Have you seen a lot of people submitting financial proposals for their business where the the founder forgets to put himself on payroll? Forgets or doesn't? Or doesn't. Maybe he thinks that self-sacrifice is worth it, you know. Shuf, uh, it's important to be scrapped. So this is, that's a very good question. By the way, you have very good questions, I have to say. Okay, we were having, we're doing an investment in Jordan, um, which will close in the next couple of weeks. And the founder texted me one, texted me recently, said, can we get on a call alone? I said, oof, shusar. <laughs> Ali, I want to talk to you about my, my, my salary. I said, agree. Ali, I want to pay myself X. Okay, the way we handle this topic, there's a thin line between greed and too much sacrifice where you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay, it's our job with data, i.e. Leith Khoury and Spartan, okay, to decide, you know, where the middle is, okay, where you're not getting overpaid, where you're not motivated and not hungry to work, or you're draining the company's cash and resources, uh, especially when cash is king, you know, at the earlier state, or cash is queen. They have to be more, you know, gender gender aware. Hundred percent. So cash is queen, right? Um, and there's and there's a difference where you're not getting paid, or you're so stressed, or your you know uh, kids or wife or whatever your your you know your mother or whatever your um, you know uh, obligations are, where you can't focus on the business because okay. So it's our job when we make investments with companies, when we're looking to invest and after we invest, it's our job to find that middle line, to make sure that they're comfortable enough where they don't have to go at home and worry about eating, but they're not so comfortable where the guys buy or guy or girls buying a Ferrari or a Porsche the next day. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. want to buy a Ferrari Porsche when the company's de-risked and, you know, investors have made their money and your employees have made money and, you know, WeWork is a good example, right? WeWork um, is a case where the founder is now worth a billion and a half, okay? A lot of his early trusted employees who joined him on his mission and sacrificed other jobs for equity made nothing or close to nothing, and early investors didn't make much, okay? That to me is greed. It has to be an inclusive push to wealth creation. Okay. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I mean, for me, it's a lean business. 
we started that business, you know, bootstrapped uh, through and through. But for me, the team that started with me on a bootstrap style business, you know, zero funding, uh, I've had a lot of the team sacrifice a lot uh, at the beginning. Uh, and then and then now everyone's starting to reap the benefits together, you know, after we've changed the business model and created that sustainability, uh, it made things better for everyone. And uh, these people that started with me at the beginning, they deserve a lot. Uh, they took the risk. <laughs> Typically, you know, that, that's, that's how the math ends up working out. You know, uh, early employees, uh, whether, again, you're a venture business and you have equity, uh, ESOP, you know, stock options, or if you're a profitable business and you do profit distributions, typically earlier employees benefit. Okay, and yes, you're right. It's because they sacrificed. Okay, you have to. There has to be. That, that's another thing that pisses me off, right? When, when we look at companies, they come and oh, we have to raise X, Y, Z. I say, why do you have to raise X, Y, Z? It's because you know we, we have to be comfortable. You have to be somewhat comfortable, but this isn't an easy thing to do, you know. And we're giving you our money, right? So we're giving you real money. It's not monopoly money. It's real money. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you you have to make sure that um, okay uh, and there's that fire there's that hunger there's that you know to do something and we've seen it backfire you know we've seen companies where founders took money off the table too early okay or uh, the guy is driving a, a Porsche okay what incentive does this guy to go uh, has to go in and and work harder for his employees and for his investors. In most cases, you know, nothing against people who drive Porsches, by the way. I have one, you know, it's not like a bad thing. As I'm saying, the incentive goes down to really work hard, the more comfortable you are, right? Sure. Unless you're one of those crazy people, we have a lot of them in our portfolio, who just are, you know, want success after success after success. They're just hungry to show the world and show themselves that they're going to keep doing you know, borderline Elon Musk obsession with work. Yeah, these guys don't. At some stage, they don't care about money. It becomes more about you know, you know, success. the next crazy idea. Hundred percent. Definitely. Uh, is there a specific kind of pitch deck that? What's the best pitch deck you've ever seen? Like, if you could describe it. best pitch deck is typically concise and to the point okay um too many too, too many words too many slides uh just you know like i said we look at 60 companies a month if i get bored in the middle of your pitch deck uh, you know we have add right uh, yeah. or on something else you know so just make it to the point put information that excites us you know whether that's the team behind which is a very big one you know investors get excited about the team uh whether it's traction whether it's the market how big of the market uh you know uh, if it's a market that has a lot of competitors in it then no we're gonna know and put a slide that says why you're better you know you have to anticipate the things we're gonna care about depending on what the what the business does you know if you're trying to launch another food delivery company, we, and you don't tell us why you're different in the deck, 
we're going to say no because there are a million of food delivery companies, right? Yeah, but, but if the team is ex Uber Eats or ex Postmates or ex Kareem or ex, and you don't put a competition slide, then I'll be like, you know, these guys and girls know what they're doing. So let's talk to them. True. True. Uh, how? What, what kind of numbers need to go in a pitch deck as well? Like, I feel like that, that like for me, I, I've tried to build a pitch deck at some point. And when I was trying to build it, once I got to the numbers part, I was like, nope. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> sure, it depends on the stage of the company. Um, but um, obviously, the, 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 the older the company is, um, you know, uh, the more history, the more you need to put in. But typically, what we like to see, we like to see high-level KPIs of the past, let's say, 12 to 24 months in the deck. And then, you know, when, when we dig in and do our due diligence, we'll look at more. But let's say, you know, last two to three years. Um, and then uh, you want to show, you know, two to three years of, of high-level projections. Okay. Uh, this way we know... Uh, how exciting this is going to be, right? So if you come to me and you know you um, you want to raise venture capital, and you're showing me that in five years you're only going to three x from you where you are today in five years, it's not a business for me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you show me you're going to three x in two years or one year, then it's a venture backable business. So make sure you know. I'm not saying change your your numbers, but you're based on how you grow would also determine what type of investor will get excited about this business. That makes sense. So how would people contact Silicon Valley? That's a tough one. Um, we obviously, uh, it's a tough one because it contradicts what I told you five questions ago. Um, the best, the most effective how to contact us we have a, 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 an email on our website. You have our LinkedIn's, etc. That's how to contact us. But how to stand out, though, in that monster wave of emails and, and phone calls? And the most effective way, again, is to come to us through a warm channel. One of our founders, another investor we work with, a friend or family member, right? And when you come through that, that's another thing. Just because you came through a warm channel, doesn't mean it's going to be effective. Make sure you tell us why, okay, we should be interested in your business. And be be very blunt about it. Not Don't be arrogant about it. Be blunt. Say, listen, I saw in your portfolio you're invested in XYZ company. We're in this space, okay, and here's why we're doing things, uh, why we're going to do very well. One, two, three, four, five. Here's the growth over the last year, and here's what we're expecting to do in, in, in two years. Okay? Plus, if it comes through a warm channel and there's no context, it's, it's as ineffective as coming through a cold channel. Maybe we'll go straight to the junk, junk folder. You know. even, even if you can't find a warm channel, try the cold channel. I'm not saying there's 0% chance. We actually look at, you know, some of my colleagues look at, that's another thing. Know who you're targeting in the, in the organization, right? I'm, I'm a managing partner. Okay, so I'm at the top of the food chain, meaning I'm stressed out of my, you know, head on a daily basis. Okay, and my time is extremely, extremely limited. Okay, 
So go a level or two lower. Go to our investment associates, who is they're, they're not full-time job, but a big chunk of their job is to find the best deals for us to invest in. Yeah. You'll have a higher, much higher conversion with that person than coming to me. Much higher. 5x higher, right? Um, know where that person sits. If you're in Egypt, for example, and you know we have a full-time Egyptian uh, partner, okay, go to that person. Don't come to yeah. someone sitting in the U.S. or Jordan, right? So it's a strategy, by the way. And, and I, the reason why I, t- I, I talk about this a lot, we help our companies with this as well. When our companies want to raise their next rounds of funding, I do this for them. I go and find the organizations that fit. I find, if I don't know them, I find a way to get to them through a warm channel with context. I find out who to get to. If I can't find that channel, I try a cold channel. But I do it extremely creatively in a way to stand out. This is starting to sound a lot like recruitment. <laughs> exactly. It's sales. End of the day, it's sales. Yeah. yeah, it is sales. It's a game of probability most of the time, I think. 100%. Well, Nomic, I want to say thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, and if anyone has any questions, you can feel free to type on the comment sections. Uh, or you can send us an email on our website at Spartan. Uh, and uh, anything that I feel might be of interest to Silicon Valley, I might relay to their team. <laughs> Great. Uh, if they have, if anyone has questions now, I have a few more minutes. Otherwise, we can. Well, look, let's have a look. We do have a couple more questions. Uh, Ashraf and. Uh, this is something uh, that's a compliment, not a, that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have another compliment. Uh, I believe you know this one. This was a world, thanks so much. And I think uh, we do have another one from Nathaniel as well. And a couple. Oh, wow. Yeah, give me questions, uh, compliments, and all that stuff. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, bigger a market size, the better it would be for the startup. Um, if you are someone, if you're a subject matter expert in a certain market, okay, and the market doesn't, it's not a huge market, but it's, you know, big enough, right? Because, end of the day, think about it from an investor standpoint, right? Today, I have a $100 million fund, okay? That means I have to target companies that can at least return my fund. Okay, mm-hmm. so get me a 50 to $100 million plus outcome with the small ownership I have in that company, which means the company has to be a billion dollar plus outcome. Very hard to be a billion dollar plus outcome in most markets. Okay, so investors like when the market is big because it shows them that you can A, you know, even if you get 5% of this market or 2% of this market, it's still a big outcome. Okay. And B, it allows you within this market size, within this market, to make changes as needed. The most successful companies in our portfolio, okay, have changed their business model at least three times, at least, before they got to, let's say, the later, st- uh, you know, middle to later stages of funding. 
And the reason why they were able to is because they were a big enough market. If you're in a small market, a niche market, and there's very little movement, you know. So I feel there's also a big misconception about being in a big market. Like you don't physically need to be in a big market depending on what your service or product is. You know, there's a glamour to having offices around the world, yeah. but you really need to incur those expenses. Right. Um, I think that's two different things, right? What I was talking about is as an industry, as a problem, mm-hmm. not as a geography, not as a, a geography, right? Not as a, a market, you know. So it's a good question. I think, you know, we look at big problems within big industries. And if you're able to solve these big problems within big industries, whether it's in Egypt or Jordan, plus plus, then it, we, we get excited, okay? Uh, market size, that's a, that's a different topic, right? In terms of geography. Yeah. Um, it is a question, right? Which is why, you know, Jordan, um, we have, you know, we have offices in Jordan. I'm from Jordan. Our team, a lot of our team is Jordanian and, 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 and in Jordan. Um, Jordan always gets question marks, right? Because it's a very small market. Today in Egypt, you can literally sell, you know, you can start selling these online and make grow like that. Everything's going, right? Yeah. Jordan's a small market, right? So it depends, you know, uh, but that doesn't mean if you go and pitch an investor on building a Jordan-only company, then the target market size has to be extremely big in Jordan only for, for an investor to be excited about that. I'm talking about venture. We're not talking about SMEs or you know other businesses which can do fine in Jordan, right? Um, but if you come to me and say, listen, we're going to start in Jordan, prove it in Jordan, and then expand to bigger markets as we see fit, then that becomes more interesting. True. Also, I mean, the, expanding geographically, I mean, the, one of the biggest reasons I would imagine is either it's a great strategic location or it's a matter of culture. Yeah. Um, cultural understanding of the market. Um, Nathaniel is pretty proactive. He has one more question here. Uh, this is a big sex one. Uh, how about the MVP? My startup idea is about how people, especially in developing countries, can get income by giving a service or selling a product. Could it be called MVP? Life, if you understood the question, you can answer it. Um, I, I have an idea of what it is. It's not too clear. Nathaniel, if you can clarify that, that would be great for us. Um, but basically what I think it's regarding uh, is in regarding to selling a product everywhere over what kind of what we were talking about, selling a product or service, which is applicable anywhere, no matter where you are. But if what he's talking about is in regards to uh, financial aspects, I can't answer that. But other than that, I think this has been a great chat. And uh, Namik, thank you so much. Any questions that might come up in the comments that I don't know how to answer, I will forward them to you. (laughs) Uh, But thank you so much for the talk. I think it was great. And I'm so grateful that we got to share this with, you know, the the startup community here. And hopefully uh, it, it, uh, you know, loops back around as a pay, pay it forward 
kind of uh, absolutely thank you very much uh Leith, and thank you to the audience uh, for joining and listening uh and obviously thank you for all the the good work you do uh, whether in you know your day job or with initiatives like this have a good one you too thank you Take so care. much bye bye, bye, -bye.